Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Affordable, accessible, and conveniently located housing is central to quality of life for people of all ages, including older adults with limited incomes. Culpeper Garden, located in Arlington, Virginia, is a nonprofit retirement community for people age 62 and older and includes both independent living and assisted living apartments. Like most retirement communities throughout the country, Culpeper Garden Community has worked diligently to keep residents safe and healthy in the battle against COVID-19. My guest today is Marta Hill Gray, Executive Director of Culpeper Garden. She will talk about the features of this retirement community and the housing choices and supportive services offered to residents. And then she'll also talk about precautions Culpeper Garden staff is taking to protect residents from COVID-19 while continuing to promote quality of life at the facility. So welcome, Martin, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. Well, Marta, let's let's start by having you give us an overview of Culpeper Garden. Where is it located? I gave a few details in my introduction, but we'd like to hear from you more as to what is included at Culpeper Garden and and also help us understand if as if Culpeper Garden is unique as an older adult resident in Arlington County. Well, we we like to think we're unique. Culpeper Garden is sort of in the heart of Arlington, if you will, and we are in a residential area on almost five acres. And the history is that a gentleman who was a botanist by the name of Dr. Culpeper uh, made the property accessible to create Culpeper Garden many years ago via the Unitarian Church here in Arlington. And we still have a relationship with them today. So we have three buildings and they all exist on this almost five acre parcel where we have gardens and walking paths and sitting areas, which as you might imagine has been incredibly helpful during this time of COVID where our residents have been pretty much on lockdown and been sequestered uh, because they're such a vulnerable community. So the first building was built in 1975 and we have added on since then. So we have two buildings for independent living and one building that is for assisted living for our residents. Help us on this, Marta. Is is this unique? Is this the only kind of residence in Arlington County? I'm not real sure as to what, if there are many kinds of older adult residents in Arlington County or what, what would you tell us? Well, there are many properties that focus on senior living. Not many focus on low-income senior living, and that is exclusively what we do. So I would say, yes, we are unique in that respect. There are some properties that have a segment of their housing available to a lower-income demographic, but our, our property is specific to that. The other thing that I think is the most compelling or one of the most compelling things about Culpeper Garden is once people come here to live, they are never asked to leave due to lack of income. So 
to me, that is remarkable. And the fundraising we do is to subsidize that to make sure that our residents at the end of their lives are not put in a position of having to find a place to go. They are home. And would you say that that is what makes uh, Culpeper different from other residential communities for older adults? And I'm not just talking about Arlington uh, County, but just in general, uh, if you can explain, you know, what residential communities usually have versus, say, Culpeper Garden. Sure. I, I think we are one of the few in the country that, that does this. Uh, there are some that allocate portion, or there could be a few residents that could qualify for subsidies, but we, the Board of Directors, has made a commitment to our residents that they will be taken care of. And so it's really, every situation is different, of course, but for example, if you decide, if you apply to, become, to live in independent living, and you qualify based on your income, you can still have assets. But what happens is once you need assisted living and you elect to go into our assisted living facility, some of your assets will be drawn down to subsidize your care. If you your stay exceeded your assets, you would still be able to live here and not be asked to leave because you, you could no longer pay or pay the subsidy. So that's pretty rare. And we were one of the first in the country to even do it. There are others that do it in other places in the country, but, but not many. So to me, that makes this place extraordinary and extremely special. Sounds like it. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, first of all, the residents. What, what's the age range of the residents? Is there a minimum age to qualify to, uh, uh, to become a resident there? What would you tell us? Well, it's for six, age 62 and above. So you have to be 62 years old. I would say the majority of our residents are in their 70s that are in independent living. But some of them are in their 60s, some of them are in their 80s, 90s. Many, most of the residents that are in our assisted living are in their 80s, late 70s, 80s, some 90s. We've had residents into their hundreds, but uh, that seems to be the case. And in terms of background, or I mean, say, is it all cultural um, uh, groups that are represented there? Um, anything in particular else other than age, which is a, a qualification, or is the age really the, the primary factor? We really have a, a, a good mix. And part of, the, part of the HUD grants that we get as subsidy for both independent and assisted living for our residents does require us to reflect the community of Arlington. So you do have a diversity of backgrounds, of racial profiles, of different countries. We have a lot of Spanish speakers here. We have people from far away, uh, India and Asia origins, many of whom have been here for some time. So we have a lot, <laughs> you can stand in our lobby and hear all kinds of languages being spoken, which is kind of wonderful. And uh, so we have a, a lovely mix and it's pe people who have incredible stories. We have a newsletter 
where we profile uh, different residents each month. And, and it's remarkable, the stories of these people's lives and where they've been and what they've done. So it's an impressive, it's an impressive array of humanity here. In addition to that, are there like basic eligibility criteria? I would assume there was some application form that needs to be completed uh, in terms of other um, factors and give us an example. Well, it, it, it's a wide array, but it definitely has to line up with a certain income level uh, below the per capita income level in Arlington. So everybody's going to be different in how that how that rates. So we have some people that pay what we call market rate, and then there are other people who qualify for subsidies. And we have people here that walk you through the process, help you with all the forms, the grants, that kind of thing. So it's as simple as a phone call to find out if in fact you qualify and what's required and what's available. One of the things we're really excited about now is that we've just had a huge renovation on our first building, Culpeper Garden One, which is a very original name, of course. And we have uh, single units, sort of bachelor apartments, if you will, efficiencies, I guess we call them, one bedroom and two bedroom apartments. So it's something that a lot of people are interested in doing just because we're in such a great location in Arlington. And these apartments have just been renovated, so quite nice. Now, is there a waiting list? There, there isn't right now. I think there is maybe for certain apartments. We don't have as many two-bedroom apartments, and that usually requires two occupants. So we have occupants that are mother-daughter. We have occupants that are husband-wife. We have occupants that are resident and caregiver. So it just really depends. Then also we've got uh, a a lot of apartments currently available. So it really is a matter of making a phone call, I think, just because there doesn't seem to be one right now, just because we've had the apartments renovated and we're looking to fill them. So now's a good time if somebody's interested. And just we'll insert that right now. Where would uh, people need to look uh, if they were interested in getting more information? Well, you can certainly go to our website, which is culpeppergarden.org, and our phone number is 703-528-0162. Okay, well, we'll be asking that later on, and uh, but it's never too early in the program to provide that information. So you mentioned a little bit about the units. We, we established that there's two kinds, right? The assisted living, as well as the independent. Is, is that correct? That's right. Uh-huh. And how many units of each in Culpeper Garden? Well, we've got uh, about 64 units in the assisted living, and we've got about 300 in the independent living. And you said, I heard you say about mother-daughter. So is there any requirement as to how many people can live in a unit? And, you know, do they have to be related, um, spouses? Yes. We have, we've had sisters live together. So it can be, I tease my best friend. One of these days we're going to be in the apartments if we're not careful. We've got to stay healthy. Uh, but yes, it's 
you know, it's a great way for folks who are on a limited income to live in a great part of town, have access to all kinds of programs, and uh, very nice. It's just very nice and comfortable. There's laundry on every floor. Those have just been all refurbished, and there are lovely lounge areas on every floor where we've got books to read and lots of light and good, comfortable chairs, and this has all been all part of our renovation. And one thing that I'm curious about, uh, since you do have two different types of, of units, what is the process to determine which kind of apartment is best for a resident? How, how do you make that uh, choice or judgment? You know, that usually depends on a, a different criteria, and that's usually worked out with our folks who do all the processing and admissions. And I think it generally depends somewhat on income and then somewhat on need and requirements. Some people prefer a smaller space, less to take care of. Uh, their overhead is lower cost-wise, so, so that works well for many. Others want a larger space. A lot of uh, couples live in a one-bedroom apartment, so that's what we find is that oftentimes we have husband and wife in a one-bedroom, and that gives them a little more space to move around. So. As you might imagine, we have a lot of individual residents staying in apartments. So more often, a one-bedroom is for couples, if that's helpful. And and so it sounds like they make the decision as to where to live rather than you and your staff? It depends, but it's usually a decision that's made based on criteria that brings in different factors for the decision. So it's it's something that we work out and it also depends on subsidy and, and what's available. Sometimes people will move into a smaller apartment and then get on a waiting list. And so it's just a matter of what's available and all kinds of factors. But we do our best to accommodate. All right. Well, one other thing that I wanted to just so people know more about the amenities. We now know about the the units. Uh, what you mentioned already, laundry room facilities on each floor. What are some of the other amenities that are available to residents? And 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 after that, talk about the resident services. What do you offer? Well, we've got laundry. We have PT that comes on site. We have a podiatrist that comes in to provide services for our residents at no charge. We just started a dental program. So we have a dentist that comes once a month to provide, and, and this same dentist provides services both in assisted living and now independent living. So folks can have access to dental care and there's no charge for that. It's subsidized with the Fenwick Foundation. Also, we have a community store so there's a little store for residents where they can pick up different items. We have a hair salon downstairs in our, on our garden level. Uh, we have common areas. We have activities. There's a movement class. We also have a food bank that brings in food every other week. Really nice. I mean, just, you know, beautiful things. So for residents who could use a little help with some of that, we make that available. So it's really, we have a full service dining room. So there are, there's a dining program and there's subsidy available for that. So it's really, really quite robust in terms of what's offered and what's available for our residents. So it doesn't really, uh, there's no stigma here for being a low income 
residential facility, I must say. It's, it's, we've got a lot of great things. There's also a bus that comes around and takes residents to the market and different things. Every 20 minutes or half hour here in Arlington goes to the giant market and Harris Teeter and whatnot. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of access to the community and to get in and out. And of course, before COVID, we had different programs where there's a foundation that also gives us tickets to the Kennedy Center and different events in Washington, DC. So we're, we're in a great part of town and great part of the world to have access to many, many things. And some of that's part of resident services, just to say. I was also going to, you mentioned about the bus, and I, I have actually been over at Culpeper Gardens, so I'm familiar with your facility. Uh, one thing I was I noticed while I was there is that residents can have their own cars there. Yes. Uh, is that true? Yes, absolutely. And we have many who do. So that's pretty that's pretty nice. We have a lot of residents who are still very active. Some still work, actually. So it's really a, a real mix. I mean, there are some residents who need help, need more help, and there's some who, you know, are doing well and are comfortable and happy to live here and have a car to go and do things. And what's lovely is many of those residents help other residents take them to the doctor or take them someplace if they need it. So it really is a wonderful community. So I want to sort of transition to COVID. Now, you talked about the amenities, the resident services, what's going on over at the facility. When things begin to uh, be obvious in February, March, that COVID was here, and of course, the fact that older adults were more at risk of getting COVID. How did you begin the process of making the adjustments at Culpeper Garden to protect, uh, to protect the residents, keep them safe and healthy? What, what did you and your staff begin to have to do? Well, I was not here at the time. However, I came in a bit later, but from what I know, Everything went on lockdown immediately. We were in the middle of our renovation, if you can imagine. So we had to pull out all the people that were working on all the new infrastructure, you know, the renovated infrastructure, the apartments, all the different work that was going on. So that, that was extremely challenging because we had deadlines and we wanted to get that done. But of course, most important were the residents and everything stopped. So no visits, no in and out, nobody could leave their rooms or their apartments. So you can imagine how difficult and isolating it's been for them. And they've just been terrific about it. We've had no COVID outbreaks here and assisted living is still on a, on a lockdown with no visitors. And uh, I've never even been in that building. <laughs> and so it's just because we want to make sure and we're steadfast about it, that there are no outbreaks here on our watch. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, we take it very, very seriously. And everybody's, we're all the staff is tested for COVID and take our temperatures in the morning and we all wear masks and we're extremely diligent. So it's, it's been a challenge as it has for everyone, but we are extra protective of our vulnerable population. 
So you talked about taking temperature. Is that also true of the residents uh, that they their temperatures are taken? How do you protect the the residents to make sure that they continue to be safe and healthy? I'm I'm hearing that that you have not had any reported cases of COVID amongst the residents, which is which is great. Um, but besides keeping them in their rooms, is, I, I'm, I'm especially curious too as to um, people coming in. I, I heard you talk a little bit earlier about the podiatrist and the dentist. Have they mm-hmm. now been prevented from coming in and only certain people can come in to protect the residents? What's the status quo now of what you're doing? Well, it's been a slow integration back. So the caregivers have been allowed back in, but they are all, you know, screened and and everybody has to, you know, walk a tightrope here in terms of all the residents wear masks, hand sanitizer everywhere. In our dining room, the tables are far apart, uh, but we want to encourage our residents to come down and eat and see other people and begin to integrate back with the population because they've really, they've really missed that, of course. So the, the podiatrist comes, but there's new protocols that, of course, we didn't have before COVID. And the dentist, uh, she wears a spacesuit practically, and it's very, it's very calculated in terms of, and the temperatures taken of the resident before they come in and all kinds of questions asked. So we are moving ahead extremely you know, with incredible caution and that we're doing the best we can and and that seems to be we err on the side of conservative and when in doubt don't <laughs> and really kind of make sure that uh, you know if there's any question about it we just don't do it so we for example we have a ribbon cutting for our renovation and we wanted to have a little celebration and whatnot but we just decided to do it virtually because we just didn't want to put anybody at risk. And even if it was a small group, you know, to bring people in the building to look at the renovation, it's not a good idea. Well, I certainly congratulate you in terms of not having any reported cases of COVID-19 among the residents. I'm sure that you must be always mindful of hearing the unfortunate stories of other residential care facilities and nursing homes that are having these uh, these problems of of reported cases of covid-19 do you i'm just curious do you do a lot of collaboration with other um uh, your your peers who are also in this arena to share stories of of success how does that work well, I have to tell you, there are some fabulous organizations. Leading Age Virginia is one. And then Arlington County, there's a, a group of organizations, nonprofit organizations and whatnot. And everyone has weekly phone calls, sometimes more, talking about how they're dealing with COVID, what they're doing, uh, what the protocols are, what has worked, what has not worked, what's what seems to be the, the plan going forward, how do you try to meet the needs of your population by allowing them some freedoms and some ability to talk to other people and, and you know, do the things, some of the things they would like to do. Uh, 
it's just really complicated, but there are some wonderful people out there who are sharing great ideas and Arlington County is just an extraordinary place with terrific people who are really doing a lot of the heavy lifting to help us and to give us good information to make the best decisions possible on behalf of our residents. Okay, well, we're going to talk more about some of the other activities that you're doing in uh, in connection with COVID-19. Uh, we're talking with Marta Hill-Gray, Executive Director of Culpeper Garden, and you are listening to WERALP Arlington, 96.7 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We are talking with Marta Hill-Gray, who is the executive director of Culpeper Garden. And we were in a discussion about how her facility and residents and staff are dealing with COVID-19. And we talked a little bit about Marta, how the residents are coping and what uh, what's had to occur as a result of COVID. But tell us what's been happening in insofar as staff members. We again hear so many stories about um what the situation is in terms of staff members coming in, they might be infected from their family. What precautions are you and and your fellow staff members taking to ensure that they're not infected or that they bring the virus into the facility? That's a really good question. And I will tell you that one of the things I think is quite remarkable about the staff here is they take their responsibility very seriously in terms of where they go when they're not at work, who they interact with, and what they would potentially bring back here. So for example, there were a few people that went on vacation late July, early August, and they said to their families, do not bring anybody I don't know to visit us or to go with us if they rented a beach house or did something like that, because I don't want to go back to the population that I serve and bring something that could be detrimental. So we're all very mindful. I think about that over the weekend. I don't go anywhere because when I come back here, I want to make sure that I've had as little exposure as possible. And I think that is true for everyone here because we are tested there's weekly tests for the staff, and there's also accountability. The, the challenge is some of the caregivers that come in and out to take care of our independent living residents, they may go to other places. And so we've had to curtail some of that and be very restrictive in terms of allowing them access, and they've got to be tested, and they've got to, you know, there's just all kinds of protocols in place in terms of who's allowed in and where they go and for how long and, and whatnot. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. We've been very strict about it and, but we take it very seriously. And we're very proud of the fact that we have been very careful. One thing that I wanted to ask you, Marta, is about testing. When you test your, uh, whether it's the, the residents or the, the staff members, is that, can you get those results back right away? I'm, I'm curious of what the process is because, again, you, you hear so many stories of 
of not getting results for a number of days. Have you got a system there that allows you to have that the results of that test um, immediately or a day later? How does that work? We do testing every Wednesday and it is, we get the results. I believe, I don't get the results. So they go to the head of our assisted living and she gets them. Um, I believe they, we get them by Friday uh, or Saturday. So that's pretty quick given the onslaught of testing and, and where we are in, in the testing universe. So it's, uh, you know, before you go back to work on Monday, if, if there's any reason for you to not show up. I would imagine then that as far as the staff and the residents are concerned, the interaction may be less in some cases. Um, how is that working now? I, I, I'm just curious as to if there's any differences between the staff and the residents' interaction now than, say, before COVID. I think we're interacting more. So I find that the residents, many of them, because we've got this new lobby area with lots of seating, it's open and light. We have a patio out in front with really comfortable chairs. I mean, we're all concerned some afternoon we may sit down there and fall asleep. There are these lovely chairs that are out on this patio and residents like to sit out there and visit with their masks on. And then there are other residents who stay inside and sit in chairs and they sort of people watch and visit with one another at a distance and whatnot. And it feels as though there's socialization coming back. And then they do interact with staff and we get to visit and say hello. And so it's it's really starting to pick up in a way that is cautious and mindful, but it allows residents to see each other and to see other people and have someone say hello to them and what you, how are you doing today? And just sort of the simple pleasantries of life that have been missing for so long. The other aspect of people living in um, residential care facilities or even independent living are family visits, either the family members or friends. It, has your policy changed uh, in so far as people coming in, family members and friends uh, visiting with the residents? Are there new rules or have the rules changed? Or, uh, what are you doing in that regard? Well, that's a really good question, and it's been one that has been tweaked and worked on for some time. But fam, there's a lot of uh, one of the reasons some people have moved here is to be closer to their families, for example. So it's nice in a place where real estate is so high and rentals are so high that uh, older adults can move back here where their young families or grandchildren are living and be nearby and have access. So what happens is a lot of the families will come here and bring them things from the store or things that they need. And for many months, they were just, they could only drop them off. And now, again, back to screening and a lot of questions and temperature taking, they are allowed to visit with their families uh, on a very selective basis. It's got to be you know, we're very careful about that. Assisted living is still not allowing in-person visits. They have they can meet and look at one in one another through a glass window and say hello and whatnot. But you, you know, you can imagine the frustration of some families. I've gotten 
phone calls that were somewhat pointed <laughs> about not being able to see their loved one. And, and I certainly understand that, but uh, the rules are the rules. And I'm sure they much prefer their relative to be safe than to have any exposure from them or from someone else's family member who could somehow put them at risk and then boom, it's like wildfire. So we're very careful and independent living is a lot more flexible because of just the nature of it. But assisted living still, we're very, very careful. They are the most vulnerable of our vulnerable population. One other area that I was, we've been talking a lot about COVID, and we also mentioned about healthcare providers like the podiatrist or the dentist, but more often than not, older adults have other kinds of health issues, and the, the goal, of course, is wellness. But in terms of other kinds of issues that older adults might have, are you allowing physicians to come over? to um, Culpeper Garden to treat the patients are you, or the residents, I should say? Or is it preferred that they go see their doctor? And if they do, uh, how, how does that work? I mean, there's many different kinds yeah. of disease entities or conditions that still need to be treated. I think that's a case-by-case -case basis. So sometimes they end up going to the hospital if they need treatment of some kind. Uh, or they go to a doctor's appointment, or oftentimes a provider comes here. We do have staff here that can help with that, and from time to time we've had doctors come here. So it just it, it's a matter of each particular situation. We monitor it very closely, and it, it's uh, case by case. It's really case by case, depending on what the what the need is, what the condition is. So if if necessary, then. You could use the the bus that you mentioned to take a person to a a physician visit, or they could drive themselves. Is is that possible? Well, independent living, yes, but not assisted living. Assisted living is just a different you know, a different thought process entirely. So anything that we do with the with that population is measured and calculated and very, very careful. Not that we're not careful with our independent living population, but they have a bit more autonomy now, especially. But we're very careful. You know, it's, everybody's got to be so careful. It's hand sanitizer and masks and distance, and we just pound it into them because a lot of them might forget a little bit, or they might, you know, just kind of not perhaps remember that they have to do this all the time. So... Of course, the other thing I was thinking now that it's fall, uh, flu shots. Uh, what Do you have a policy about flu shots? Is everybody going to get them? And how is that going to be carried out if that's what you do? Yeah, uh, flu shots are happening in here for all our residents. They are provided at no charge. And so we have dates set up and they are here and they will be pretty much mandatory. And they've asked all the staff to get flu shots as well. So it's something that we're all, we're all uh, in dealing with and supportive of just to make sure every level of precaution and care is taken. And so it's, the flu shots are going to be given at uh, Culpeper Garden for both yes. the independent living as well as those in assisted living right there. Yes. 
Yes. And then employees have the option or they strongly encourage us to you know, go to the pharmacy or wherever to get a flu shot just to make sure, again, it's as much to protect us, but also to protect our residents. So you mentioned earlier that to date, and I congratulate you for this, that, <laughs> that there has not been any resident who has tested positive or has shown any symptoms of COVID-19. My next question would be, any staff members, if they tested positive, and what would be the procedure in your facility if somebody did test positive, the staff member or resident, how how do you alert the residents, keep them safe? How do you mm-hmm. let family members know? Because this could be... At any moment. Exactly. So <laughs> yeah. what's, what's the game plan there? Well, that's a good question. And our operations folks have that pretty much, you know, have a plan. We did have one uh, staff member who had a false positive. And so before we knew that it was, in fact, negative, uh, that individual was told to go home and quarantine. And then we tried to track every move he had made and anyone he'd been in contact with and kind of back into uh, where he could have possibly exposed others. And it was just a couple of hours, but it was it was a heated couple of hours, but everybody went into into action on that. As far as residents, so we, but we haven't had any staff members test positive to answer your question. Uh, and so, but there is a protocol for that and we are prepared for that at any time. Same for residents, once we know uh, or we are told that a resident has tested positive, the building goes on lockdown, everybody goes back on lockdown and it's quarantined for the, for the buildings, all of us and uh, and then they you know, run through the different stages and things that they need to do to track it, trace it, and then protect everybody and make sure that uh, we've got it contained. Fortunately, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, so would the residents then be quarantined for like 14 days? Because that's usually what you hear. Well, I, I don't I, I don't know that for sure, but I think that that's probably what would happen just to make sure that everybody, you know, you just don't even know how it can be transmitted. So it, it, you know, the air, you know, the, who knows, every, every week you read something different in terms of air and how far, uh, you know, the, the droplets can travel and that kind of thing. So theoretically, everybody is at risk. So my thinking is, yeah, you probably would have to put everybody uh, in quarantine. But they have, there's a whole procedure for that, and there's a whole structure and, and setup for that. But it's whatever it is, it's going to be swift and it's going to be strict. So that's, and we do, then we would deliver food to residents, uh, you know, so that they could stay in their, uh, their apartments and that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit. Marta, about what are the resident attitudes? I guess we and I would put myself in the same category. We who are of the older adult status think, gosh, is this ever going to end? Is is the, is the only time we'll be able to get back to normal, whatever that means, is when there's an approval and availability of a vaccine against COVID-19 
Is that the prevailing attitude amongst your residents there? How do how do they feel about this new lifestyle that they're all being subjected to? And are they hopeful? Are they depressed? Are they frustrated? What would you tell us about what the situation is in in your facility right now? They're weary, like all of us, of this whole thing. I think that they they miss the, the socializing and visiting with other residents, having a meal with them uh, and whatnot. But one of the things that I think has given, that makes this place, let's go back to Culpeper Garden being special, is that we do have these gardens. And one of the things that I'm excited about is we're doing a lot more now in the gardens because it's really the place where residents can meet their families. They can have friends come to visit, sit on a bench, sit on a, at a picnic table, be outdoors, fresh air, distance, and it's really become an option. So I see people walking all day long outside and enjoying the grounds here, which I think makes a huge difference. Yeah, I, th I think that for the most part, there are a lot of the folks here who have family in the area miss seeing their family, miss their grandchildren, miss being able to go to a film or do some of the things that all of us do. So they're no different than we are, I think, in that respect. I think they're glad they have a place where they are cared for and looked after and there are protocols taken to keep them safe and healthy. And so just I think like all of us, Cheryl, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> you know, you're you're grateful for another healthy day, but doggone it, you you still want to get back to some of the things you used to be able to do. And so it's for the most part though, you've got to remember these people have lived through a lot already in their lives. So it's um it's it's another thing to be dealt with. It's part of being on the planet, I guess. But I guess what I was really trying to get at, Marta, was the the attitudes towards the vaccine. Is that kind of what they're all looking forward to? Is are they going to take the vaccine if they get it? Uh, who's because that's controversial as well. Yeah, we have not discussed that too much. I don't think anybody's holding a lot of stock right now. I think they really want to uh, continue to see the decline in the virus and everybody's keeping an eye on it. They're willing to get a flu shot, but nobody's too, you know, I, I think until there's a little more proven, nobody seems to be talking about it as the thing that's going to be a game changer for them, especially because they don't know if the vaccine's going to harm them or help them really. And so given their health and the stage they are in life, it's it's a little precarious. Well, and I guess, too, one could argue whether or not they'd be first in line or last in line. Well, exactly. To get the vaccine. I mean, because that's going to be an issue that has to be dealt with as well. And so, um, again, I was just curious, as you um, talk with your colleagues and your peers in this kind of setting, if um, if that topic comes up about vaccine, not only amongst the residents, but as I said, in terms of other people who are um, involved with uh, at in, in staffing and working at uh, residential care facilities, and that is is there a concern about that or or an optimism? Just curious as to how 
other mm-hmm. folks view a vaccine? You know, I think that we are so mired in the day to day that it just doesn't come up very much. I mean, I mean, we really don't talk about it as something that we are looking towards. I think it's really a matter of what are you doing today? Is your mask on? Have you washed your hands? Uh, where are you going? Who's going to be there? <laughs> I mean, it's really more the day-to-day making sure that everybody holds up their end to follow the protocols today so that we don't have to worry about anything tomorrow. So something that, that that's that far out right here, I, I don't think we really have that luxury to think about it too much. And, and I, I mean, that's just what I hear and see is that we're really all in it for right now today and making sure we get you know down the road one day at a time. Kind of taking, as you said, one day at a time. So it, it sounds like you have been able to continue some activities and services uh, that you had before. Is there anything in particular that you're pleased that you've been able to continue doing in terms of activities and services that kind of help improve quality of life uh, at, at Culpeper Garden? Well, we're starting back some of the volunteer opportunities. So we're looking to create some programs, do a bingo program, and there are a lot of residents who really have fun with that. We did a uh, falls prevention program this past week to share with residents and their caregivers about just being smart about the dangers of falling and how to pay attention, not have little area rugs in your apartment that you could trip on at night and that kind of thing. And then we do have residents who love to do things. So we have one resident who loves the garden and she's out there all the time and she helps the other residents with their raised garden beds that we have. Some of our residents grow flowers and vegetables and whatnot. And so she's out there all the time and we have another woman who's a volunteer and she comes and she's going to start taking uh, groups of residents for walks and, you know, keep everybody at a distance with their masks on, but just sort of walk around the neighborhood, get a little fresh air and have somebody sort of with them. And then we also have one of my favorites is Benny, who had been a, a piano player in Las Vegas for many, many years. He's originally from Hawaii and he likes to come down in the afternoons and play his Yamaha keyboard. And I have to tell you, he's a big draw. There's a lot of people down there just listening to music. So sometimes I'll get out there and we'll we'll cha-cha and have a, have a little bit of fun. So it really adds an atmosphere downstairs uh, in the lobby, in this beautiful new lobby we've had renovated that lifts your spirits. And of course, music is such a good healing thing. But He's a heck of a piano player, so he plays all kinds of great music, and that's just been a, a real joy for all of us. Music always helps, hopefully, cheer people up a little bit. So so we're moving towards the end of the program, but I was going to ask two kind of big-picture questions, and especially given the fact that you are new to Culpeper Garden, and so kind of assessing where the situation is now. Help us understand from your perspective and your staff and the residents in, in, in general, what's been the greatest difficulties that have occurred 
at Culpeper Garden since the beginning of the pandemic? You've, you've touched on a lot, but just kind of maybe more big, big picture. What would you tell us? I think, like everyone, just making sure our residents are safe. But it's also the interaction and the social part of it. We are such social animals, and so many of the people here um, don't have family. So this is their family. And to not have people to chat with and, and check in with, and not all of them have access to technology. So many of them don't have a, a smartphone or an iPad or a television even. So the isolation has been absolutely crushing. And so we're really working hard to start to really turn that around for residents. But I think that's been the hardest is the isolation, making sure everybody stays safe and adheres to the, the protocols that we have set in place. And then for me, coming in, it's difficult to fundraise these days, and I'm sure that's true for all nonprofits, but normally you can have events and people gather and you tell them all the great work you're doing. So that's a little bit of a challenge, but we're going to be using the garden. So we're going to take advantage of doing some garden renovations and have people walk through our gardens and see the great work we do outside to help our residents. And so that will take us in hopefully to the spring and who knows what will be happening then, but hopefully we'll have a little bit more latitude to gather. We'll see. I would also imagine that, you know, you talked a lot about walking outside and the gardens. Another challenge might be the fact that, you know, cooler weather is coming. So trying to figure out how to keep people safe and having to stay inside more just because of the weather and this kind of thing. Is that a possibility? Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, normally at trick-or-treat time, we have the kids come and that's not going to happen. So we can't do that. And then in the holidays, we love to have different groups come and sing and, and different things like that. So we're really having to curtail all of that. So it's going to be a very different time, but we're going to do the best we can to bring as much joy and light and happiness as we can in, in this difficult time. And just by having people be able to at least sit at a table across from each other and have a meal is big progress from where we were in April. So we're just taking these baby steps, if you will, to try to normalize and accommodate the needs. But, you know, physical health is important, but so is mental health, as we all know. And so isolation can be really rough, especially as you get older. So it's, uh, it's a, it's a big, it's a big task, but we're up to it. And we really treasure these individuals that live here. And we're really working hard to make sure we take good care of them and that they're well. So one more time, Marta, tell us what's the best way to learn more about Culpeper Garden? Well, the best way is to go to our website, which is culpepergarden.org, and it's Culpeper with two Ps. There's a town in Virginia, Culpeper, uh, but it has one P, so it's C-U-L-P-E-P-P-E-R garden.org. And our phone number is 703-528-0162. And if I may correct myself, because I am new, I didn't have my note in front of me, but we have 273 units in independent living and 73 units in assisted living. So 
that is the lineup here at Culpeper Garden. And as you said earlier, you've got a waiting list. We do for some, but not for others. So it's worth a phone call. If anybody's interested for themselves or their parents or their friends, call and find out because we have a lot of available apartments too. So it's it just depends on where you stack in terms of qualifying, what your needs are, that kind of thing. But we do our best to accommodate and it is a lovely place to be. Well, with that, I want to thank Marta Hill Gray, Executive Director of Culpeper Garden, for joining me today. And if you want to listen to past radio programs or watch any of the Aging Matters TV episodes, best way to do that is just go to our Facebook page. The address is facebook.com forward slash Aging Matters W-E-R-A. And there you'll find both the internet addresses to access the radio shows as well as the TV episodes. And I will quickly add that there's a new TV episode that should be available in another week or so. So I'll be telling you about more about that next week. And by the way, getting back to the radio programs, Aging Matters is now available as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So please invite your friends and family to listen to these programs and ask them to rate and review the program at these sites. That'll get more uh, activity and visibility, as it were, for these podcasts. So I ask you to do that. I want to thank Robert Winship for handling the technical aspects of today's program. And as always, thank you for listening to Aging Matters. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.